Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together. Bring in rain of all the 
for Christ, what you've done for us in Him, and for the privilege of coming together in worship today. We pray that you will help us to open our hearts to you, to all the ways in which we will encounter you in this worship time together. Be glorified in what we sing, what we say, what we hear, and as we go forth from this place later to live. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just one thing to bring to your attention, there's a few inserts in your bulletin, I encourage you to look at those. Uh, also, there's faith promise, promise cards, and uh, we are, again, collecting those for this year. Our, our goal is 27500 This is in addition to the money that's in our budget already for missions. Uh, but we want to encourage you to take some steps of faith and uh, be praying about what God may uh, want to do through you to help us reach the world. We will begin collecting these next Sunday. Uh, you don't have to, that's not the only time we'll collect them, but we are trying to, to uh, get as many as we can next week and uh, then uh, see how God supplies in the, the months to come as uh, we move forward and pray for uh, continued faith as He provides through us. This is our uh, missions convention weekend, and uh, we are glad to welcome Dr. George Beals here this morning. He's going to be 
sharing with us. He's the Director of Church Development for World Hope International and has been in that role for not quite a year. Uh, Before that, he served for 25 years as missions pastor at Central Wesleyan Church in Holland, Michigan, and oversaw uh, a missions budget of about $1.7 million. So uh, the church church is uh, deeply committed to uh, working in the world. And God's done some great things through them, and I'm excited to have him here to share with us today. And I know that uh, the Lord will speak through him to us as we open our hearts to have a bigger vision, a bigger picture of uh, his world and his people. The ushers are going to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let's just spend a few moments praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that you care for all people. You care for every person in this world with an everlasting love. And on the Sundays, we focus our attention specifically on the world. Pray that you would help us to see the world, to care for the world, to have a heart for the world as you do. Father, you know how easy it is for us to become enamored only with ourselves. So open our eyes. Father, we pray for your work in the world and for people who are serving you around the world. We pray especially for uh, Leah Doty as she prepares to go to Thailand and for the Seldons who are going to Haiti. Thank you for their willingness to be a part of your work in these places of the world. And we ask that you would encourage them in the, in the process of getting ready to go. We pray that you would continue to stir their hearts for the ministry to which you've called them. Father, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters who face great difficulties in this world. We think, Father, of our, the Christians in Vietnam. We ask, Father, that you would protect them. That you would give them grace and strength in the midst of very difficult circumstances. We ask that you would help them to know of our love and our support and more than anything of your presence. And we pray that that through their witness for you, others would come to know you. Father, there is so much need in our world. Far too many people who do not have the basic necessities of life, of water and food and shelter. Who live in fear of war and violence. Father, we pray for your protective care. We pray for your provision upon each of them. We ask for your mercy upon our world. Father, we do pray for your grace upon us. 
You know the needs that we represent, the needs that are a part of our lives. We pray for all who are grieving today. We ask for your comforting presence upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray especially for Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson, for Priscilla Walsh and Vesta Mullen, for Tim Nichols and Bruce Brenneman, for Bill Roski, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Isla Shea and Dick Gould and Edna Howard and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler and others who are on our hearts and minds today. We thank you that you do care about the whole world, including us and our lives. And so we give all of our burdens and our concerns to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your loving compassion upon us and upon all people. As we continue in worship, continue to stir our hearts about the needs of the world, the needs right around us and the needs far beyond us. Give us a heart of compassion that so clearly identified Jesus. It's in his name that we offer our prayers, remembering the prayer he taught his disciples to pray. As we pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. And following the scripture, children can be dismissed to Children's Church and Junior Church. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Righteous ruler of the 
Well, good morning, and I want to thank you for your commitment to the Wesleyan Church and to Global Partners and World Hope International, the relief and development partner of the Wesleyan Church. This church is known for its uh, reach around the world, 
and I'm uh, privileged to be able to be here with you. I've heard a lot about Houghton Wesleyan Church over the many years, and um, I've seen your name. I've seen statistics of the people that have gone out from here. I'm glad to be a part of this. I want to introduce my family to you. Uh, there's my wife, and uh, we went to a small college in Idaho, and uh, when when I arrived and I met her our freshman year, I asked her, uh, well, what church are you from? And she said she was from the Wesleyan Church. I'd never heard of the Wesleyan Church. So I called my mom and she said, they're okay. <laughs> so I married her and, uh, and I'm a Wesleyan pastor. And uh, we produced a couple boys and uh, our, our two sons. And they've gone out and ventured in the world. Uh, the one in the light colored shirt, Evan, is uh, uh, 23 years old. He's a PhD student at Michigan State University. And then his older brother, Eric, uh, in the gray shirt, he's 26, and he teaches uh, English in Korea. Let's see if we can oh, jump ahead there. Now, now we can't go backwards. Oh, there we are. There's, his, there's one of his classes. So he's about six foot two and teaches uh, preschoolers English. And uh, so he's finishing up one year there uh, in, in, I think it's South Korea. I think that's the one we go to now. Uh, I think he's in South Korea. We hope that's the one he's at. And uh, he attended Houghton College over here. And that's the only school he wanted to go to. So we brought him up here. And, and I was all excited because I knew at that time that when he entered, there were four women for every guy who attended Houghton College. I met my wife at a, at a college, Christian college and thought, okay, Eric, this is it. Four to one odds. This is really good. And he graduated and he came home and he wasn't dating, engaged, or married. And, and I said, Eric, what, what's the deal? You know, the odds are so good. And he said, Dad, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> and I said, Eric, look in the mirror. You're no great catch here, you know. You had your chance, but, you know, so, well, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, what's going on in um, relief and development work in uh, Sierra Leone, West Africa. This is going to take a long time. Oh, there we go. Now it'll probably jump ahead three on us. Um, But World Hope International is working in Sierra Leone in in Ebola relief work. Uh, we have a hundred nationals who work for us there. We only have, I think, one American working there now for us at the moment. Um, but we've got a great force there. We are doing lots of stuff on the ground. I just went through last night and just started listing out, so I had to just list out these things. We are sending over our 10th container, 20-footers and 40-foot containers, filled with medical supplies. Those 10 containers have a value of about $2.5 million dollars worth of medical supplies, well drilling equipment, uh, these kinds of things. We're drilling fresh water wells at treatment centers, helping hospitals redesign their wards to be able to take in Ebola patients, delivering food to families that are quarantined because someone in the family has Ebola. Uh, We're providing a fleet of ambulances to take the uh, Ebola patients to treatment centers. Farmers are not going out into the fields because they don't want to be near other people. And so we know that in a few months, there's going to be a food shortage. 
So we've partnered with Penn State University and one of the engineering departments there to develop low-cost, high-efficient greenhouses for farmers in uh, Sierra Leone. We're also doing this in Mozambique. And uh, that is going to produce a lot more food. That way they can triple their growing seasons. We've sent an American nurse who's a missionary kid from Sierra Leone, sent her to train healthcare workers about Ebola. We're working with Harvard University on a case study of how Ebola was spread so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And we're educating communities on how to stop the spread of Ebola. So just some of the things that we're involved with, and many of you have contributed to help with us, and we thank you for that. You've prayed, you gave, you're, you're seeing a, we're seeing a reduction of the number of cases. Just this last couple of weeks, the World Health Organization has said that the number of new cases each week is dropping, and so we're excited about that. And God is beginning to bring people to him because of this. Still, there's a need for help. We need people to pray. We need people to say, God intervene in this stop this we need your help and people we need people to still give to help us with the ministries that are going on there uh there's a uh college just an hour north of here you know roberts westland um who uh who's uh, raised this last week five thousand dollars from their students to uh help us with ebola work and uh, so it's people like that just thinking what can i do how can i help and people are stepping up, so we're glad about that. And very thankful for different people's ministries and stuff. And your church has been a part of that. Well, as I mentioned, I, my home church is a big church. It's a mega church. I've watched it grow when I first came on staff. And, and just, it just grew and grew and grew. But we know that the greatness of a church is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. And that's why I'm so excited about being here to, to represent World Hope International at this church because this church has done a lot for global ministries. And we continue to say thank you and continue the good work. As I travel for World Hope, I always tell people that the things that we do for them are because people around the world, especially Americans, have felt a call from God to give, to help. And it isn't World Hope International. We're just an organization that people are using to channel good things through. So a well, uh, hospital equipment and stuff has come through because people around the United States have helped. This morning I'd like to start with a question. There's a lot of questions in my life. People question me why I'm even here probably. But uh, I always have questions. You know, things like why do we park on driveways and drive on parkways? I, I've pondered that in a lot of my classes when I should have been doing something else. Um, you know, why is the word abbreviation so long? It should be shorter. There's not another word for thesaurus. You know, you can't look that up. Um, so I have these questions. My wife wants to know why I can't learn to fold towels so they go in the cupboard, even though we've been in the same house for 24 years. Why I can't figure out how to get those towels folded that fit in. Some of you guys are going, like, yeah, I know that one. I, I wonder why, what people in China call their good dishes. Um, I'm not sure what they would call those. And um, some people have wondered why it took me so long to get through school. But uh, I've always felt that the right questions would get us into some deeper thoughts. So get to the deeper answers where we're trying to go. 
I've just finished uh, not too long ago a doctorate degree, and it doesn't show that I'm any smarter. It just shows I have tenacity. I can make it through. And uh, one of the things they taught us in grad school is because we had so many books to read was how to read quickly. And they were teaching us about, you know, just read the introduction, read the front, read the back, figure out if you want to read the book. I learned that you could just sometimes just pick up from the cover uh, of the book some good ideas. And maybe I don't need to buy the book. Um, But one of the books I saw just in the last couple years had uh, this uh, title on it. It was a subtitle. It wasn't even the main title of the book. It says, What Does God Expect of Us? And I thought, that's a really good question for believers. What does God expect of us? I didn't buy the book. Um, just, just, just think of the question and thought, that, that's good. What is that? And now on the surface, we have a lot of good answers. And if we've grown up going to church and going to Sunday school, we might say, well, we should believe the right things. We should go to church and worship. This is good. We should have fellowship with others. We should read our Bibles daily. We should pray, be prayerful people. We should avoid sin. These are all good things to do and to avoid. But I want to know, is there something more that God is expecting of us? Well, I want to talk to a moment where this question really came into my life. It was on a trip with World Hope International to Zambia. It was a few years ago. And I remember the heat and the humidity as we sat outside some little huts and we talked with Grandma Beatrice. And uh, we talked with her and she held her, uh, her young grandchild. And it was there that she told us her story. And the story of these boys, uh, her kids that were there, it was they were, that they were AIDS orphans. Their parents had died and left them alone. And as we sat in the heat and humidity and she told us about these children and what they had gone through, we realized that they were left alone and they were child-headed households. Three words that shouldn't go together in any sentence. The youngest was so small and so weak, he couldn't run around and so grandma had held him. But um, as we sat and listened to the story, I asked, there were some rocks outside of their hut what those piles, two piles of rocks were. And I was told that that's where their parents were buried. So every day when they walked out, they had to walk right past the last place they saw their parents. And for months, they lived on their own. No one was there to care for them. They had no father to train them what it was to be a young man. They had no mother to hold them when a child needs to be held. It was, year, it was months later that Grandma Beatrice had heard about their their case and what had happened. Because she lived in a village far away. And she heard that the boys were left there. And they were just taking care of themselves. And so we sat there and our team had brought some oil and some cornmeal. Something that they could have for food for a few months. We told her that the love of Jesus compelled people to provide this for her. And we wanted to bring this for her. And she sat and thought about this. She said, this message is important. This story is important. You're telling me. And I said, yes, it is. And she said, if it's so important, why did you wait so long? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't know 
why it had taken so long for us to be there. What had taken so long from my office in Holland, Michigan, there, there was a way to just to keep out the rest of the world. I knew that this kind of thing existed, but I had a way to keep them out in a bubble. When I had seen things like this in a magazine, I could flip the magazine over or a newspaper. I could change the channel on the television, or I could write a check and say, someone else will take care of it. And I hadn't thought, these are real people. This was not something that I could just turn the page now. Grandma Beatrice stood there. Her grandchildren were there with her. And I had to face the fact, what was it that God was expecting of us? That child-headed household. And these families had no running water, no electricity in their hut. There wasn't even a mattress on the floor, if you could have put a mattress in their hut. Just some dirty blankets just thrown to the side of the hut. And this is where they lived. Till Grandma Beatrice could come along and, and provide for her for them, though she didn't have very much at all herself. I thought, wow, the message of Jesus needs to get here. How could this be? How could this happen that there were child-headed households? And I thought, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not listening for not really understanding your love for the world, that you care so much for these people, that you died for them as well. And I couldn't block them out anymore. And at first, there was, I felt anger for myself. You know, why had I not done anything? Well, after getting angry at myself, I was also angry at others because they hadn't done anything either. There were hundreds of orphan children like this across this village in Zambia. And, and there were hundreds of villages like this across Zambia. And I didn't know how many in Africa and Asia that needed to be touched. Then I was feeling sick to my stomach, realizing, why hadn't the church in America risen up and done something? Why hadn't we seen the needs and said, we need to live beyond ourselves? It's great that we take care of our community. It's great that we take care of the inner cities. But God has called us to all of that and the ends of the world. If our message is so important, why does it take us so long? Surely Christians needed to respond to human suffering. We all know the the story that we've just come through a few months ago talking about Christmas. And in Luke chapter 2, the angels pronounced to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news, the gospel. And I think, where is the good news in this village when all I see around me is suffering? So what is it that God expects of us? And that's the question I want to pose today for us. In Matthew 25... We've, we've read this passage this morning. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, 
when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I tell you the truth. Just as you did it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Maybe in the church in America, there's a slight, slightly different, more irreverent version. And Richard Stearns in his book, The Hole in Our Gospel, puts it this way. He says, for I was hungry and you had all you needed. I was thirsty and you drank bottled water. I was a stranger and you had me deported. I was sick and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison and you said I was getting what I deserved. Well, you get the picture. The answer to the question of what God expects of us is not all that mysterious. It's one that we have known. Scripture is clear. Jesus makes it even clearer when he summarizes the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, this is, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God's expectations are pretty simple. Love God and love others. In another way, uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah says it in this way. He says, the Lord, what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy? To walk humbly with your God? We are to love God and to love others. That's the basic things that God requires of us. And when we do that out of our hearts, God is blessed. God is honored. And we are his children. In the end, we're called to do these things out of love for the Savior. For these will flow out of us because of his love for us. Mother Teresa once said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. You see, the gospel or the good news is about love. It's about God's love expressed to the world through us. That's how God planned it. That's why our mission and our purpose is the same as that of Jesus. And that's why the gospel is such good news for everyone. Not just for us who have heard it. It's good news for everyone. One of the most common mistakes we can make is to believe that we have nothing of significance to offer. We're not rich enough. You can think of people who are richer than you. Well, I've met people who have great wealth. And I think, well, I don't have that much to offer. I'm not smart enough. There's, there's people who are smarter than me. I'm not skilled enough. I, I wouldn't know what to do. We're not spiritual enough. Or our church is not big enough to make an impact on the world. In the face of all that there is going on, what can we do? Well, the point is that God doesn't exactly expect us to do uh, everything. The point is that God is going to do the impossible. Mother Teresa had also said, we can, do, we can do no great things, only small things, with great love. Last uh, January, uh, I took a team from my home church to Sierra Leone. And I wanted to take um, some leaders of our church. 
one of our deacons was Les. Les runs a trucking company in Holland, Michigan. His family had been farmers and he realized they needed to transport their stuff. So he said, I'll start a trucking company. And God has richly blessed his trucking company. Such that uh, he could take the time off and spend some time in Sierra Leone with us for a week. And everywhere Les looked, he looked at trucks. Diesel engines and trucks. That was his thing. And he could tell what was going to happen. He knew, he said, that, that truck in two days is going, to, is going to have its engine fail. Watch. It did. They're like, that's pretty good, Les. And as we went around and we went to uh, the juicing factory that World Hope is a part of to help buy uh, papayas, mangoes, pineapples from farmers to juice, to export to Europe and Brazil. And less, they showed less their truck. They were moving the pineapples. And he said, can that thing uh, pull a trailer? And they said, yeah, it's got a big trailer hitch in the back. He said, I've got a trailer that would fit that in my backyard. Who has a trailer in their backyard that would fit on a truck? Not me. And, and Les said, I can ship that over here. And they said, that would be great because then we could put more pineapples on that, on that trailer and bring them back to, for sale. and give the farmers more money. We can move more. So Les says, I'll get that over there for you. It was very complicated, it turns out, because that truck, that trailer was designed as a missile launcher <laughs> by the federal government. And, uh, and Les had no idea. To, it was just a trailer. That's all it looks like to you and I. Uh, but the federal government has it listed, so he had to go through lots of red tape to get that exported out of the country. It's not going to launch missiles. There's no missile launcher on it. But at just the right time, that trailer arrives in Sierra Leone, in God's timing. And the Ebola crisis erupts. And Les says to World Hope, he says, if you get stuff shipped to Michigan, I will put it all in containers and ship it to the ports. We'll get it shipped to Sierra Leone. We said, well, if we did that, Les, and we have these 20-foot and 40-foot containers, as long as this platform here, how would we move it in Sierra Leone up country to the places we need it? He said, you know that trailer we sent over? It fits exactly a 40-foot container. And we realized God had been setting up these things all along the way. And God had brought less at the right time to Sierra Leone, knowing what the crisis was going to be. And Les would say, I just do what I do. I do trucks. And if you get to be 40 and older, you begin to realize what you're really good at. You know, this is what I was designed to do. This is what I was meant to do. And I tell people, you know, you need to figure out, you know, what it was that God made you for. And why did he make you that way? What did he make you for, for that? What's the purpose that he put you in that position? With that knowledge, how can you help the world and help God's cause, God's kingdom? And so Les was a part of that. He was a part of that story to help us. And over and over again, we have seen people who have used their abilities and just the things that God had given them, just who they are, not having to be something else. Um, I should not be in business. I, wouldn't, I know nothing about business. And there are business people who shouldn't be preachers. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's do what God's called us to do and what God has called us to be. 
Well, last July, I was uh, at a well dedication in Africa. I was at two well dedications. The assistant uh, to the governor of the state we were in, in, in that country in Africa, came with us. And he said, I want to make sure that you got some preachers, that they share the Bible with these people. Like, wow, the assistant to the governor wants us to, you know, share about this. So we did. And he got up and he told them, he said, this well does not belong to World Hope International. It doesn't belong to the state. It belongs to you people. We give it to you. You have to take care of it. And the people in the village were told by the pastor who preached to say, you know, this is a symbol of the living water of Jesus Christ. And he is doing this work in you. He's bringing you this water so that he can give you new life. But we're not only concerned about having a good life on this side of eternity, but Jesus wants to give you the eternal water that will last forever. And it was great to be a part of that and to be able to tell these people that it was Christians in America who were providing this for them. And you have already made a difference, Houghton Wesleyan Church, in the people in Sierra Leone. You have helped to provide many different things. Some of that has, has gone for us to help drill wells. You know, and just amazing to think about what one well does in, in Africa. More than 600 people have access to clean water. You save people walking hours to get water that's dirty when they get it. More time is spent in school because school children don't have to walk so far to get water. They spend more time in school. They're better educated, which helps the whole village. Little children won't get sick and die because they now have clean water. And the local church has a symbol to show the people of God's love and talk about the eternal water of Jesus Christ. Beyond all of this are changed lives. A family, a widow, a child who lives longer, a farmer's life who has changed. Last June when I was in Sierra Leone, I met a wonderful pastor of a little church who has just a, a small little hut of a church. Uh, he keeps adding reeds onto it to make the walls longer. And this is the, the church here. And he said to me, you know, a church that lives within its four walls is no church at all. This is a church that had been transformed. The people had been transformed and they were transforming their community. But let me challenge you to think about, think of the possibilities of this church. What does God expect of you now? Are you willing to be open to his will? Are you willing to do what he asks you to do? What is it that he expects of you as an individual and as a church can one church be a world-changing church? Well, 2,000 years ago, it was just a few men and a few women who felt God leading them. And they literally changed the world. And I believe it can happen again today through us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together to think about what you have for us and how you've created us and how you've meant us to be I pray that you would work in this church as they think about global missions, as they think about what they can give, not only financially, in prayer support, in sending those around them, in serving, in welcoming people to their community, all the things that bringing the good news of Jesus Christ here 
and sharing it around the world. Thank you, Father, for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. Church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong. In the strength that God has given, with shield of faith and belt of truth, we stand. the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.